0: Chapter 5, Part 1 of The Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of the Ancient English Tenures, Part 1. In this chapter, we shall take a short view of the ancient tenures of our English estates, or the manner in which lands, tenements, and hereditaments might have been holden, as the same stood in force till the middle of the last century, in which we shall easily perceive that all the peculiarities, all the seeming and real hardships that attended those tenures were to be accounted for upon feudal principles and no other being fruits of and deduced from feudal policy. Almost all the real property of this kingdom is by the policy of our laws supposed to be granted by, dependent upon, and holden of some superior lord by and in consideration of certain services to be rendered to the lord by the tenant or possessor of this property. The thing holden is therefore styled a tenement the possessors thereof, tenants, and the manner of their possession, a tenure. Thus, all the land in the kingdom is supposed to be holden, immediately or immediately, of the king, who is styled the lord paramount or above all. Such tenants, as held under the king immediately, when they granted out portions of their lands to inferior persons, became also lords with respect to those inferior persons, as they were still tenants with respect to the king, and thus partaking of a middle nature were called mean or middle lords. So that if the king granted a manor to A, and he granted a portion of the land to B, now B was said to hold of A, and A of the king, or, in other words, B held his lands immediately of A, but immediately of the king. The king, therefore, was styled Lord paramount, A was both tenant and Lord, or was a mean Lord, and B was called tenant para veil, or the lowest tenant, being he who is supposed to make a veil or profit, of the land. In this manner are all the lands of the kingdom holden, which are in the hands of subjects. For, according to Sir Edward Coke, in the law of England, we have not properly a which. We have seen is the name by which the feudists abroad distinguish such estates of the subject as are not holden of any superior, so that at the first glance we may observe that our lands are either plainly feuds or partake very strongly of the feudal nature. All tenures being thus derived or supposed to be derived from the king, those that held immediately under him, in right of his crown and dignity, were called tenants in capite, or in chief, which was the most honorable species of tenure, but at the same time subjected the tenants to greater and more burdensome services than inferior tenures did. This distinction ran through all the different sorts of tenure of which I now proceed to give an account. One, there seemed to have subsisted among our ancestors four principal species of lay tenures to which all others may be reduced, the grand criteria of which were the natures of the several services or renders that were due to the lords from their tenants. The services, in respect of their quality, were either free or base services, in respect of their quantity and time of exacting them, were either certain or uncertain. Free services, such as were not unbecoming the character of a soldier or a freeman to perform, as to serve under his lord in the wars, to pay a sum of money, and the like. Base services were such as were fit only for peasants or persons of a servile rank, as to plough the lord's land, to make his hedges, to carry out his dung, or other mean employments. The certain services, whether free or base, or such as were stinted in quantity, and could not be exceeded on any pretense, as to pay a stated annual rent, or to plow such a field for three days. The uncertain depended upon unknown contingencies, as to do military service in person, or pay an assessment in lieu of it, when called upon, or to wind the horn whenever the Scots invaded the realm, which are free services or to do whatever the Lord should command, which is a base or villain service. From the various combinations of these services have arisen the four kinds of lay tenures which subsisted in England till the middle of the last century, and three of which subsist to this day. Of these, Bracton, who wrote under Henry III, seems to give the clearest and most compendious account of any author, ancient or modern, of which the following is the outline or abstract. Tenements are of two kinds, frank tenement and villainage. And of frank tenements, some are held freely in consideration of homage and night service, others in free sockage with the service of fealty only. And again, of villainages, some are pure and others privileged. He that holds in pure villainage shall do whatever is commanded him, and always be bound to an uncertain service. The other kind of villainage is called villain sockage, and these villain sockmen do villain services, but such as are certain and determined, of which sense seems to be as follows First, where the service was free, but uncertain, as military service with homage. That tenure was called tenure in chivalry per servitum militare or by night service. Secondly, where the service was not only free but also certain, as by fealty only, by rent and fealty, etc, that tenure was called Liberum soccagium, or free sockage. These were the only free holdings or tenements. The others were villainous or servile. As thirdly, where the service was base in its nature and uncertain as to time and quantity, the tenure was purum villanagium, absolute or pure villainage. Lastly, where the service was base in its nature but reduced to a certainty, this was still villainage but distinguished from the other by the name of privileged villainage, villanagium privilegiatium, or it could still be called Sockage, from the certainty of its services, but degraded by their baseness into the inferior title of Villanium socagium Villain socage. 1. The first, most universal, and esteemed the most honorable species of tenure was that by night service, called in Latin Servitium Militare, and in law French, Chivalry, or Service de chevalier answering to the fife de of the Normans, which name expressly given it by the mirror. This differed in very few points, as we shall presently see, from a pure and proper feud being entirely military and the genuine effect of the feudal establishment in England. To make a tenure by knight service, a determinate quantity of land was necessary, which was called a knight's fee, ordem militare, the value of which, not only in the reign of Edward II, but also of Henry II, and therefore probably at its original in the reign of the conqueror, was stated at twenty pounds per annum, and a certain number of these knight's fees were requisite to make up a barony. And he who held this proportion of land, or a whole fee, by knight service, was bound to attend his lord to the wars for 40 days in every year if called upon which attendance was his reditus or return his rent or service for the land he claimed to hold if he held only half a knight's fee he was only bound to attend 20 days and so in proportion and there is reason to apprehend that this service was the whole that our ancestors meant to subject themselves to the other fruits and consequences of this tenure being fraudulently superinduced as the regular, though unforeseen, appendages of the feudal system. This tenure of knight service had all the marks of a strict and regular feud. It was granted by words of pure donation, de di et concessi, was transferred by investiture, or delivering corporal possession of the land, usually called livery of fiefen. And was perfected by homage and fealty. It also drew after it these seven fruits and consequences, as inseparably incident to the tenure in chivalry, viz., aids, relief, premier saison, wardship, marriage, fines for alienation, and achat. All of which I shall endeavour to explain and show to be a feudal original. One. Aids were originally mere benevolences granted by the tenant to his lord in times of difficulty and distress, but in process of time, they grew to be considered as a matter of right and not of discretion. These aids were principally three. First, to ransom the lord's person if taken prisoner, a necessary consequence of the feudal attachment and fidelity, insomuch that the neglect of doing it, whenever it was in the vassal's power, was, by the strict rigor of the feudal law, an absolute forfeiture of his estate. Secondly, to make the lord's eldest son a knight, a matter that was formerly attended with great ceremony, pomp, and expense. This aid could not be demanded till the heir was fifteen years old or capable of bearing arms. The intention of it being to breed up the eldest son and heir apparent of the seignory to deeds of arms and chivalry for the better defense of the nation. Thirdly, to marry the lord's eldest daughter by giving her a suitable portion, for daughters' portions were in those days extremely slender, few lords being able to save much out of their income for this purpose, nor could they acquire money by other means, being wholly conversant in matters of arms, Nor, by the nature of their tenure, could they charge their lands with this or any other encumbrances. From bearing their proportion to these aids, no rank or profession was exempted, and therefore, even the monasteries, till the time of their dissolution, contributed to the knighting of the founder's male heir, of whom the lands were holden, and the marriage of his female descendants. And one cannot but observe in this particular, the great resemblance which the lord and vassal of the feudal law bore to the patron and client of the Roman Republic, between whom also there subsisted a mutual fealty or engagement of defense and protection. With regard to the matter of AIDS, there were three which were usually raised by the client, viz. to marry the patron's daughter, to pay his debts, and to redeem his person from captivity. But besides these ancient feudal aids, the tyranny of lords by degrees exacted more and more, as aids to pay the lord's debts, probably in imitation of the Romans, and aids to enable him to pay aids or reliefs to his superior lord, from which the last, indeed, the king's tenants in capite were, from the nature of their tenure, excused, as they held immediately of the king who had no superior. To prevent this abuse, King John's Magna Carta ordained that no aids be taken by the king without consent of parliament, nor in any wise by inferior lords, save only the three ancient ones above mentioned. But this provision was omitted in Henry III's charter, and the same oppressions were continued till the 25 Edward I, when the statute called Conformatio Chartarum, was enacted, which in this respect revived King John's charter by ordaining that none but the ancient aids should be taken. But though the species of aids was thus restrained, yet the quantity of each aid remained arbitrary and uncertain. King John's charter indeed ordered that all aids taken by inferior lords should be reasonable, and that the aids taken by the king of his tenants in capite should be settled by Parliament but they were never completely ascertained and adjusted till the statute Westminster 1.3 Edward I C. 36, which fixed the aids of inferior lords at 20 shillings or the supposed 20th part of every knight's fee for making the eldest son a knight or marrying the eldest daughter, and the same was done with regard to the king's tenants in capite by statute 25 Edward III C. Eleven. The other aid, for ransom of the Lord's person, being not in its nature capable of any certainty, was therefore never ascertained. 2. Relief, relevium, was before mentioned as incident to every feudal tenure, by way of fine or composition with the Lord, for taking up the estate which was lapsed or fallen in by the death of the last tenant. But though reliefs had their original, while feuds were only life estates, yet they continued after feuds became hereditary, and were therefore looked upon very justly as one of the greatest grievances of tenure, especially when at first they were merely arbitrary and at the will of the Lord, so that, if he pleased to demand an exorbitant relief, it was in effect to disinherit the heir. The English ill-brooked this consequence of their new adopted policy, and therefore William the Conqueror, by his laws, ascertained the relief, by directing, in imitation of the Danish heriots, that a certain quantity of arms and habiliments of war should be paid by the earls, barons, and vavasors, respectively, and, if the latter had no arms, they should pay one hundred shillings. William Rufus broke through this composition, and again demanded arbitrary uncertain reliefs as due by the feudal laws, thereby, in effect, obliging every heir to new purchase or redeem his land. But his brother Henry I, by the charter before mentioned, restored his father's law, and ordained that the relief to be paid should be according to the law so established, and not an arbitrary redemption. But afterwards, when by an ordinance in 27 Henry II, called the Assize of Arms, It was provided that every man's armor should descend to his heir for defense of the realm, and thereby it became impracticable to pay these acknowledgments in arms, according to the laws of the conqueror, and the composition was universally accepted of a hundred shillings for every knight's fee, as we find it ever established. But it must be remembered that this relief was only then payable if the heir at the death of his ancestor had attained his full age of one and twenty years. 3. Premier Sison was a feudal burden, only incident to the king's tenants in capite, and not to those who held of inferior or mean lords. It was a right which the king had, when any of his tenants in capite, died seized of a knight's fee, to receive of the heir, provided he were of full age, one whole year's profits of the lands if they were in immediate possession, and half a year's profits if the lands were in reversion expectant on the estate for life. This seems to be little more than an additional relief, but grounded upon this feudal reason, that by the ancient law of feuds, immediately upon the death of a vassal, the superior was entitled to enter and take sizing or possession of the land by way of protection against intruders, till the heir appeared to claim it, and receive investiture, and, for the time the lord so held it, he was entitled to take the profits, and unless the heir claimed within a year and a day, it was by strict law of forfeiture. This practice, however, seems not to have long obtained in England, if ever, with regard to tenures under inferior lords. But as to the king's tenures, in capite, this prima cesina was expressly declared under Henry III and Edward II to belong to the king by prerogative in contradistinction to other lords. And the king was entitled to enter and receive the whole profits of the land till livery was sued, which suit, being commonly within a year and day next after the death of the tenant, therefore the king used to take, at an average, the first fruits, that is to say, one year's profits of the land. And this afterwards gave a handle to the popes, who claimed to be feudal lords of the church, to claim in like manner from every clergyman in England the first year's profits of his benefice by way of primitia, or first fruits. End of chapter 5, part 1.